You've got your Bibles with you this morning. Would you turn with me to the very middle of your Bible on this very first Sunday of 2019? Psalm 19, 2024. Psalm 19, uh, the very middle of your Bible. And in just a minute, we're going to begin reading at verse number 7. Psalm 19 beginning in verse number seven. I don't know if you all kept up with this a couple of years ago, uh, but there was a 10-year-old boy who was the center of a Maricopa County courtroom drama when he challenged the court's ruling over who should have custody of him. The boy had a history of being beaten by his parents, and so the judge initially awarded custody to his aunt in keeping with child custody law and the regulation requiring uh, that family unity be maintained to the highest degree possible. Uh, but then the boy surprised the court when he proclaimed that his aunt actually beat him worse than his parents, and he adamantly refused to go back and live with her. So the judge suggested, well, maybe you can go live with your grandparents. And he said, no, they also beat him. And so the judge did some investigating. And what he learned was is that evidently domestic violence was a way of life among this family. And so the judge took the unprecedented step of allowing the boy to propose, well, who should have custody of him? After two recesses to check the legal references and confer with child welfare officials, finally the boy came out of the courtroom, and I mean, he was all smiles. He was super excited. He had a grin all over his face. He was excited. I mean, excited. And so the, the, the reporter said, what are you so excited about? As he stepped up to the, uh, up to the uh, microphones, hear what he said. The judge is sending me to live with Danica Patrick. Why? Because she can't beat nobody. NASCAR fans, did I land that one just about right? Well, I know exactly how that little boy felt because I have been super excited all week to share with you this particular sermon and to get into this particular series of studies. We're starting a brand new series of studies this morning for a brand new year that I'm entitling Start Your Engines. And so what this is, is this is a new year series of sermons on what are called the spiritual disciplines. We do this every single January here uh, at Abilene. If you're new, you can refer to spiritual disciplines as holy habits. That's kind of what they are. And what we're going to do is we're going to take the next four Sunday mornings and I'm going to help you kick your new year, start your new year off right by learning what the Bible teaches about reading and studying your Bible, having a powerful personal prayer life, discovering real meaning and purpose by serving God and others, and then sharing the good news with your family, your friends, and those that you come into contact uh, with just as you go about your day. This morning, what we're going to do is we're going to talk about how to get on track through studying God's Word. Let me just say this to you this morning. I love the Bible, right? I love the Bible. Now, unlike the man that I heard just this past week, we do not worship the Bible, but we do worship the God of the Bible because everything that we know about God and find about God and, and learn about the God, God, we learn from the Bible. And one of the things, again, that I love so much about Abilene Baptist Church is that Abilene is a church that loves the Bible. Abilene is not just a Baptist church. Abilene is a Bible church. We love and we believe the Bible as the Word of God. As a matter of fact, one of our statements of faith, the Baptist Faith and Message 2000, says this in Article 1 about the Bible. The Holy Bible was written by men divinely inspired and is God's revelation of himself to man. 
It is a perfect treasure of divine instruction. It has God for its author, salvation for its end, and truth without any mixture of error for its matter. Therefore, all Scripture is totally true and trustworthy. It reveals the principles by which God judges us and is therefore, and therefore is and will remain to the end of the world the true center of Christian union and the supreme standard by which all human conduct, creeds, and religious opinions should be tried. All Scripture is a testimony to Christ who is himself the focus of divine revelation. Look here. Aren't you thankful, Abilene? Aren't you grateful? Aren't you glad to be a part of a church that loves and believes the Bible and says that it is the inerrant, inspired, infallible, authoritative, Christocentric, eternal Word of God? I am. I love the Bible. I believe the Bible from cover to cover. I even believe the maps. I'm kind of like old David a ring. I even believe that the little words there says genuine leather, right? I believe the Bible. I love the Bible. And so this morning what I want to do is I want us to look here at Psalm 19, 7 through 14. And what I'm going to do this morning is take a little bit of a different approach than we normally do. Normally in this series, I would take you over to Psalm 119, and we would spend the morning uh, learning what the Bible says about how to study your Bible. This year, I want us to go to Psalm 19, and I want to show you why you should study your Bible, what the Word of God is, what the Word of God does in the lives of those who read it and, and, and believe it and obey it. So look what the Bible has to say about itself. Psalm 19, beginning in verse number 7. David says, The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. Who can understand his errors? Cleanse me from secret faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless, and I shall be innocent of great transgression. And I want us to all read that last verse together, verse 14, off of the screen together. Verse 14. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. I want you to hold your Bibles open this morning to Psalm 19. And I'm going to give you two reasons why you should and how you can get on track with God's Word in 2024 by loving the Bible. Now, these are really simple, but they're so vitally important if you're going to get into and grow in your Bible study this year. So number one, if you're taking notes, and we've got to give you a warning, you're going to get a cramp. There's like seven subpoints into both these two points, and so just kind of settle in, get your notebooks out, get your pens out. Uh, we'll get done. It won't be supper quite. Anyway, all right, look at number one. You ought to love and read the Bible for what it is. 
Because here in Psalm 19, David gives us several reasons why we should love the Bible. And I've counted out at least seven. There's probably more, but there's at least seven reasons that I want to share with you this morning for why we should be in the Bible. I want to encourage you to read and study your Bible in 2024. And again, these are some of the reasons why I love the Bible. And I read the Bible as much as I do. And I'll just tell you, and this is no joke. I would rather read the Bible than any other book. I love to read. I love to read history. I'm buying books all the time. Amazon guy can't come up there unless he has a book to bring me. I love to read, uh, but I love to read the Bible more than any other book. And a lot of times I'm talking to pastors and, and other folks, and, and they'll always say, what are you reading? What are you reading? They'll put their post about their end-of-the-year reading list. What are you reading? What are you reading? And then when I ask them about, hey, what have you been reading in the Bible? They had this blank look on their face. Look, I think it's great to read books about the Bible. I think it's better to read the Bible, right? And so what, why should you read the Bible? What, what do you do with the Bible? You're supposed to read it, study it, memorize it, meditate upon it, hear it preached, and then you're supposed to obey it, apply it, and do what it says. So look what Psalm 19 says about itself. The Bible says this. The Bible says about itself that it is perfect. The Bible is perfect. Verse 7, the law of the Lord is perfect. The Bible is perfect because it comes from a perfect God. Deuteronomy 32 verse 4 says, He is the rock. His work is perfect. For all his ways are justice. A God of truth and without injustice, righteous and upright is he. Did you know that there is one thing that God can't do? God can do anything he wants to except one thing. God cannot lie. That's what the Bible says in Hebrews 6, verse 18. It is impossible for God to lie. And so when God says something, it is true because he is a God of truth. The Bible is true because it is perfect. You say, well, okay, Pastor, I get what you're saying. Uh, the Bible is a book of faith. The Bible is a book of theology. But, Pastor, you really can't compare the Bible to science books or, or history books or, or, or philosophy books. I beg to differ. I know that the Bible is not primarily a book of history or science or philosophy, but let me just say this to you this morning. When the Bible speaks about history, it's right. When the Bible speaks about science, it's right. When the Bible speaks about philosophy, it is right. Herschel Hobbes was a great Baptist preacher, and he said that the archaeologist's spade, the archaeologist's shovel, is the friend of the Bible preacher. Every time over there in any of those archaeological dig sites over there in the Middle East, and when they dig up something from Bible times, it always proves that what the Bible said was absolutely true. From Jericho's walls to Samson's pillars to Hezekiah's tunnel and seal to the Tel Dan inscription, the Dead Sea Scrolls, the Port Pool at Siloam, St. Peter's house, just a few at the top of my head. All of these things prove that what the Bible says is absolutely true. Listen to your pastor. There has never been one archaeological find that has disproven any historical fact in the pages of your Bible, not one. You say, yeah, but science. But science what? Whenever the Bible speaks scientifically, it is absolutely true. Astronomer Robert Jastrow, not a Christian, explains how the Big Bang supports the idea of a creator. Listen to what he wrote in his book, God and the Astronomers. He said, astronomers now find that they have painted themselves into a corner because they have proven by their own methods that the world began abruptly in an act of creation to which you can trace the seeds of every star, every planet, every living thing in this cosmos and on earth. 
And they have found that all this happened as a product of forces they cannot hope to discover. That a product, that, that, that there are what I or anyone would call supernatural forces at work is now, I think he says, a scientifically proven fact. Far from disproving the existence of God, astronomers may, find, may be finding more circumstantial evidence that God exists. Now we see how the astronomical evidence supports the biblical view of the origin of the world. The details differ, but the essential elements in the astronomical and biblical accounts of Genesis are the same. The chain of events leading to man commence suddenly and sharply at a definite moment in time in a flash of light and energy. For the scientist who has lived by his faith in the power of reason, listen to this, the story ends like a bad dream. He has scaled the mountains of ignorance. He is about to conquer the highest peak. As he pulls himself over the final rock, he is greeted by a band of theologians who have been sitting there for centuries. Let me ask you a question. If evolution is true, if evolution is a theory, why is it being taught as fact in our schools? We call it the theory of evolution. So if it is a theory, why is it being taught as fact? See, here's the difference. We believe in God. Atheists don't. And so they had to come up with some way to explain how everything that is came from nothing that was. We know how. God spoke it, and it came into existence. You say, well, that's not scientific. It's just as scientific as saying there was a big bang. We don't know what caused it. And after everything cooled down, there was some water that gathered up somewhere. We don't know how. And after that water sat there for millennia, uh, all of a sudden some little bitty organisms came into being. We don't know how. And, and after sitting there for a, a million, billions more years, those little bitty uh, organisms grew into bigger organisms. We don't know how. And then that organism one day, something like a tadpole, pulled itself up on a beach. We don't know how. And it laid there in the sun for, for, for millions of years. And it, it sprouted legs and arms. And we don't know how. And then finally it stood up on all fours. We don't know how. And then one day it stood up on, on two feet, began to speak. And now it's a professor at like Harvard University. We don't know how. We don't know how. You talk about faith. It takes a whole lot more faith to believe that than to believe the simple truth of the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The Bible is historically true. The Bible is scientifically true. The Bible is philosophically true. By, by the way, you know what philosophy is, don't you? Philosophy is the study of more and more and more, of less and less and less until you know everything about nothing. That's what philosophy is. <laughs> philosophy is fine and good, but you don't just need philosophy. You need Jesus Christ. And there are no greater ideas, there are no higher thoughts than you will find in the pages of this book. The Bible is perfect. That's what it says about itself. And if you don't, if you don't believe that, that's fine and good. But here at Abilene, we believe and we preach and we teach that the Bible is the perfect Word of God. Amen. The Bible is, next, reliable. Look at verse 7. The testimony of the Lord is sure. It's 
Sure, that's what it says. In other words, it's reliable. You can trust it. The Bible is dependable, faithful, above all doubt, a certain guide. It's a firm foundation for both faith and practice. If the Bible says it, you can believe it. Psalm 111, verse 7, look at it on the screen. The works of his hands are verity and justice. All his precepts are sure. If God's Word says it, you can take it to the bank. You don't have to worry about whether or not it is dependable. God gives you reliable information in the Bible. It is reliable. Number three, it is right. If, if you'll take the Bible's side, you'll always be right. How many of y'all love to be right? Can I see your hands? I, I got both mine up. My kids need to have ten up, right? If you want to be right, other folks can have their opinions. If you'll just take the Bible's side, you'll always, always, always be right. Psalm 19, verse 8, look what it says. The statutes of the Lord are right. And the Hebrew word there is yashar. It means straight, correct, upright. By the way, isn't it amazing that so many people today will say something like this? Well, this group is this, and this other group is straight. Look right here. I know I'm from Tennessee, and I'm a simple guy, but I'm, I'm simple enough to know that the opposite of straight isn't gay. The opposite of straight is crooked. And the Bible says here that it is straight, it is correct, it is right. There are some things that are right. There are some things that are wrong. And it is the Bible that tells us which one is which. And it leads you into a life of holy, godly, righteous living. Psalm 33 verse 4 says this, For the word of the Lord is right. Same word, yashar. And all his work is done in truth. The Bible is right. Next, it is pure. Verse 8 as we continue to read, The commandment of the Lord is pure. You say, what does that mean? Well, it means a couple of things. First of all, it means that it is clear. It's understandable. It's not obscure. I'll have people come to me sometimes. They'll say, Pastor, I just can't understand what this, what this verse means, what this passage means. And what I find is, is that it's not that they don't understand it. It's that they don't want to do what it says. Right? It's not that they don't know what it says. It's that they don't like what it says. They don't like it. It's not that it's not clear. Look, most of the Bible is written to where a five-year-old can understand it. Now, I get it. There are some parts of the Bible you've got to put your thinking cap on. You've got to read it and read it again. There are some parts of the Word of God that are even far beyond our human comprehension. But I'm just telling you, for the most part, the Bible is understandable by anybody and everybody. It is not obscure. It is clear. But it also means that it contains no sinful idea or anything that would lead you into sin. Now, for sure, there are some people who will look into the Bible and they'll read in the Bible and they'll get weird ideas and do wicked things and they'll say that God told them to do that. Look, look right here. How many of y'all are smart enough to know that not everybody says that they've heard from God actually heard from him? Sometimes it was the Taco Bell the night before, right? Yo, folks, you know, you, you've got guys... Uh, the Bible gets blamed for a lot of things it never said or did. Can I be honest with you? Remember Jim Jones? Remember David Koresh and Branch Davidians? Think about every crazy thing that some politicians will say the Bible says when the Bible didn't say any such thing. The Bible is pure, and it comes from a pure and a righteous God. That's why Peter says that we should, as newborn babes, desire the pure milk of the Word that you may grow thereby. It is pure. Also, it is true. There, there are so many lies being told today. Did you know that? So many lies. 
And we know where the lies come from. John 8, 44 says that the devil is the father of all lies. He's the source of all lies. He's the author of all lies. He's the origin of all lies. And he's, when he speaks, he speaks a lie. Why? Because that's his nature. But when God speaks, it's true because that's his nature. He's a God of truth. Psalm 19, verse 9, look at the end of that verse. The judgments of the Lord are true. The word true there isn't an adjective. It's a noun. And so what David is saying here is literally the judgments of the Lord are truth. The Bible is true and it is truth. It is absolute truth. It's not relative. We live in the day where well, what may be true for you might not be true for me. What might be true for me might not be true for you. No, 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 no. Uh-uh. No. What the Bible says is true. God's word is true because it is true. And let me just say this while I'm in the neighborhood. Every commandment in this book is applicable to every person in this world. Every person is affected by this book. And you can't say, well, that's just what you Christians believe. No, this book isn't just going to judge Christians. This is the book that God is going to use to measure every single person on this planet because there's only one way to God, and that is through His Son, Jesus Christ. And there is only one book of Scripture, and it is the Word of God. Not the Book of Mormon, not the Koran, not the writings of Confucius or Buddha. The Bible is the truth from Almighty God in print for all mankind. And there is no other truth. There's no other book. So here's the question. Pastor, I had a friend give me some literature from Jehovah's Witnesses. I've got a Book of Mormon at my house. What, what should I do with them? Should I keep them? Well, I'll just tell you this. In Acts 19, they took all those other foreign religious writings and they burned them. If you've got some Jehovah's Witness literature at your house, you've got to throw it away. Don't give it away. Throw it away. Got a Book of Mormon at your house? You've got to throw it away. You got anything else out there? You have a Koran at your house? You ought to get rid of it. Don't give it away. Get rid of it. Get that stuff out of your house. And I didn't say this in the earlier service. You know why? Because demons hang around that stuff. You ought not to have it in your house. Get it out of there. Get that stuff out of your house because this is the only book that you need. It is absolute truth and nothing else can or needs to be added to it. Psalm 119, 160, because I can see y'all really excited. Some of y'all sitting there thinking, I got to throw that stuff away. What am I going to do with it, right? Psalm 119, 160 says, The entirety of your word is truth, and every one of your righteous judgments endures forever. Jesus prayed in his high priestly prayer in John 17, 17. He said, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Not it contains truth. It is truth. The Bible is true. It's righteous. F. It's righteous. It's just. Verse 9, the judgments of the Lord are true and righteous all together. In a day when it seems that so many judges are neither righteous or just, and it seems like the very judicial system of our nation is unfair and not right, and you wonder, will anybody ever get a fair trial? Is there anybody out there that truly knows what justice is? This book says that the judgments of the Lord are just and righteous altogether, and the judge of all the earth has given us the righteous judgments in the Bible, the written word of God. And I love what Moses said to the people in Deuteronomy 4. He said, 
says, For what great nation is there that God, has God so near to it? As the Lord our God is to us. For whatever reason, we may call upon him. And what great nation is there that has, watch this, such statutes and righteous judgments as are in all this law which I set before you this day. In other words, there is no other book like this book called the Bible. It is the righteous word of God. And here's the last thing the Bible says about itself. It is desirable. And David compares it to money and food. And he says in verse 10, watch this, more to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. So God says, some of you guys are chasing after money, but I want you to know that there's something more precious in the Bible than money. He says, some of you are always hungry for the wrong thing, when the real thing, the only thing that will really satisfy you is found right here in the pages of the Bible. Psalm 119 verse 72 says, The law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of coins of gold and silver. Some of y'all think that you'd be rich if you just had more money. And God says, I have put a treasure chest in your very hands. It's called the Bible. And this book, should be more desirable to you than money or food or any other worldly thing. Amen. If you want to get on track in 2024, it starts by loving and reading the Bible for what it is. Number two, you ought to love and read the Bible for what it does. Not just the facts about the Bible, but the function of the Bible. Say, Pastor, so if I read the Bible, what's it going to do for me? What am I going to get out of it? Is it just going to be that at the end of the year I'm going to put online that I read through the Bible? Let me show you. For the sake of time, I'm just going to have to just more or less just list these out for you this morning. But every single one of them comes straight out of Psalm 19, 7 through 14. What does loving and reading the Bible do? Number one, it restores your soul. Verse 7, the law of the Lord is perfect converting literally restoring the soul that's why you need to read the word of god that's why you need to feed on the word of god feast on the word of god live in it every single day because it restores the spiritual strength of your soul you need more than one sermon a week you need to be living daily feeding daily feasting every single day on the bible so we're memorizing scripture in our family devotions. If you saw online yesterday, Ben, overnight, memorized Psalm 23. And remember what Psalm 23 begins? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. And some of you all need to have your soul restored. And I'll just lay this out there and let you get mad at me here on the first Sunday. Some of you all care more about your body than you care about your soul because it's all over the Internet. God help you this year to read the Bible because it will restore your soul. And then the Bible gives you wisdom, verse 7. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. I like that. How does God give us wisdom? Through the Word of God. You ever been around somebody that may not have what we would call a lot of formal education, but they're wise because they're always reading their Bible? 
Listen, if you know the mind of God on a matter, that's wisdom. Proverbs 9 verse 10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. How do you have the fear of the Lord? Through the book of the Lord, the Bible. It gives you wisdom. And next, it gives you joy. Verse 8, the statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. I, I've had more fun since I became a Christian than I ever had before being a Christian. I have more fun accidentally than most lost people have on purpose. Why? Because the joy of the Lord is my strength. Where does that come from? From the Bible. That's why. You show me a Christian who looks like they've been baptized in pickle juice. Always walking around with this frown. I look around the room. There's, yep, some of y'all. Mm -hmm. You show me a Christian who looks like their dog just got ran over, and I'll show you a Christian who has not been reading their Bible. Dr. Rogers always said, These hath God married, and no man shall part. Dust on the Bible and drought in the heart. You show me a person who's got joy and a smile on their face and always happen in spite of the circumstances, and I'll show you a Christian who's been reading and studying and memorizing and living in their Bible. Why? Because it rejoices your heart. D. The Bible enlightens you. Verse 8. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. In other words, God will guide you by His Word. It's kind of like that verse we learned in, in children's church. Your Word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. It guides you. It shows you where to go. And then E, it warns you. You know why so many people get in trouble? Because they don't read and heed the warnings in the Bible. Look what it says in verse 11. Moreover, by them your servant is warned. You know what, the, you know what preaching is? Preaching is warning Warning you what will happen if you'll do what the Bible says to do and warning you what will happen if you don't do what the Bible says to do, right? It's a warning. Ezekiel 33, 7 through 9. So you, son of man, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. Therefore you shall hear a word from my mouth and warn them from me. When I say to the wicked, O wicked man, you shall surely die. And you do not speak to warn the wicked from his way. That wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at your hand. Nevertheless, if you warn the wicked to turn from his way, and he does not turn from his way, he shall die in his iniquity, but you have delivered your soul. The Bible warns you, and then the Bible rewards you. Verse 11, and in keeping them there is great reward. If you will do this year what the Bible says to do and don't do what the Bible says don't do, you'll be blessed. You will have the benefits and the blessings of God. Deuteronomy 30, 28 verse 2 says, And all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you because you obey the voice of the Lord your God. The word overtake there means that the blessing is going to start chasing you down when you keep and obey the word of God. When you heed, read and heed the Bible, you're not going to have to chase after blessings. They'll chase after you. How many of y'all would like that this year, right? And then the Bible restrains you. Verse 12 and 13. Who can understand his errors? Cleanse me from secret faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Put your finger right there. Somebody says, Pastor, I live by faith. I sure hope so because most people I know live by presumption. Keep me back from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and I shall be innocent of great transgression. Look at that last verse, verse 14. Listen to what David has to say about how we should focus on the Bible as we close. 
Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. He says that if you're going to have the benefits and the blessings of the Bible, then the Bible must be in your mouth. Steve Gaines said, you learn to think Bible. The reason why Steve Gaines ended up at Bellevue is because he, like Dr. Rogers, thought Bible. He committed so much Scripture to memory that when a, something came up and he had a question, he wasn't having to come up with his own ideas. Scripture came into his mind. And it ought to be in your mouth. We were talking about this out of devotion on the other night as a family. Remember when Jesus was tempted there in the wilderness? And every single time the devil came to him and tempted him, what did he say? you got to think about this because he's Jesus, he's God. If he speaks, it's red letters in the Bible. And what did he do? Every single time he answered the devil, it is written. It is written. The Bible must be in your mouth and then the Bible must be in your heart. The psalmist says, your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. I want to end this message with a quote from R.G. Lee. R.G. Lee was the pastor of Bellevue Baptist Church before Dr. Rogers, before even Ramsey Pollard. R.G. Lee had a famous sermon called Payday Someday, preached it over 2,000 times. And R.G. Lee had this to say about the Bible, and I close. The Bible is a book beyond all books as a river is above and beyond a rivulet. The Bible is a book beyond all books as the sun is above and beyond a candle in brightness. The Bible is a book beyond all books as the wings of an eagle is above and beyond the wings of a sparrow. It is supernatural in origin, eternal in duration, inexpressible in value, immeasurable in influence, infinite in scope, divine in authorship, human in penmanship, regenerative in power, infallible in authority, universal in interest, personal in application, and inspired in totality. This is the book that has walked more paths, traveled more highways, knocked at more doors and spoken to more people in their mother tongue than any other book this world has ever known or will know. And my prayer is that in 2024, that you will love and read the Bible for what it is. And that you will love and read the Bible for what it does that it will be in your mouth and in your heart.